Listening to Grace Geltman and Weld on the Hammer Factor. Take it away, boys. I can't believe we've done this 26 times. Yeah, I get I get email now every day from customers talking about the Hammer Factor. About a day goes by where I don't get an email from a customer. It doesn't mention <laughs> Hammer Factor. Yeah, I, I got cornered in the bar about it multiple times at North Fork. Uh, how did oh, that yeah. go? That's fine. It's like yeah, it's fun. <laughs> let's, let's start with that. <laughs> All right, because I, I have a few questions regarding that. All right, well. <laughs> oh, man. I, I don't even want to know. Yeah. Let's light this can. All right. Welcome to Hammer Factor, issue number 26. My name is John Grace, and I want to thank you for listening. I want to introduce my co host here, one of them, Lewis Geltman, North, North Fork champion, North Fork racer this year. Policy director no, man. for the Outdoor Alliance, Lewis. I retired this year. You retired? I did, or at least for a year. Um, yeah, my shoulder is just not up for it these days, man. I don't know. We can talk about the North Fork race in a bit, for sure. But well, well, I did not race this year. Before we get on to our other co-host, I want to give Lewis some props here. Adam Atarian, hat tip to Adam Atarian. After 24 episodes of hearing about on the Hammer Factor, I finally made a contribution to Outdoor Alliance. How about that, buddy? All right. Made my day, man. Seriously. Well, I'm, 24 I'm... episodes, one listener. <laughs> let's, How many let's hours did it take? Let's just, let's just take this piece of good news for what it is. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> I'm happy that anyone listened to me describe work we do and was not like who is this mumbly bro bra and i can't believe he has employment <laughs> not only that he got promoted get my money to npca <laughs> uh, well anyway i figured that'd be a good bit of news to share thank you adam atarian yeah, also you. co-host john weld whitewater legend co-owner of immersion research what's up and where are you at today are you at the factory there john well i'm trying i'm in it from a Secret location that I don't want to disclose. I will say, though, be prepared for this connection to get worse, in which case I'm going to call back. So I'm warning <laughs> listeners ahead of time. Can we talk about the popularity of the show real quick before we go any farther? Yeah, let's go with it. Let's hear it. Because I get emails you know, from customers every day, and not a day goes by now where I don't get an email from a customer from a customer commenting on the hammer factor. In fact, you would, if you were an outside observer, you, you would think that's what I'm known for, is the hammer factor. <laughs> <laughs> and IR is something that I'm doing just on the side to kill time in between episodes. <laughs> well, and Gelman evidently got pinned at the North Fork by various people. He was in a bar pontificating, I'm sure, people approaching him <laughs> for his, his opinion on certain on various whitewater issues and <laughs> tip, gear tips and, and gear choices. Uh, he was in court. And people come and ask for the hammer factor. And if I understand correctly, you were telling people to basically to line up for autographs that they had to form an orderly line and have their twenty dollars ready cash out <laughs> cash and checks <laughs> man so what was the conversation when you were cornered were they like a 204 paddle or a 200 were they like you suck everything you, <laughs> you guys are all idiots <laughs> i hear one more thing about sup <laughs> <to> start <laughs> 
I had a killer <laughs> session on the set board on Sunday for Father's Day. We'll get into yeah. that later. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely going to come up because we have the New York Times is validating this argument, by the way. Yes, what yes. Are the white yes. lady. Lots what of stuff in this episode. The gray lady. What do they call it? The gray lady. The gray lady? <laughs> New, York, New York Times. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm geeking out. Well, it's going to be an awesome show because we have both a lot of SUP and the North Fork Championship all combined mm-hmm. into one show. So, exciting. Right. Uh, so Lewis? if you want to scare yourself stupid or bore yourself to tedium, we've got <laughs> <laughs> both sides of the spectrum covered today. You know, there's a whole genre of, of podcasts to put people to sleep now where you plug them in <laughs> and you just they sort of ramble on you go to sleep. And we could be falling slowly into that category. <laughs> oh, God, you may be right. <laughs> just listen to the sweet, dulcet the tones of John Grace discussing SUPing on the French broad. <laughs> I can't. I can't wait to see when James is going to add the SUP class to the North Fork race. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm going to open that segment off with. All right, Lewis. <sighs> Zinke recommends bear ear, bear's ear reduction. What's going on? We spent money. We're not getting, seeing anything. That's right. I can't speak for Adam. I want my money back. John Grace wants his non-existent contribution back. Yeah. We're not happy about this. What are you guys doing? I thought you were into Zinke. He was like your man. Zinke. That's why, that's why I understood it. That's the way it was conveyed on this show. Basically, the money goes from me <laughs> in his pocket, and this is taken care of. I'm just going to have to go to the, the pain cave on all this today, huh? <laughs> Zinke... Zinky, zinky, zinky. Um, man, as you guys may have noticed, it's it's a pretty low bar for members of the the Trump organization come federal government. Um, you know, I mean, he's not crazy, which is the bar right now. I, he's not on our side. He's, you know, somebody who's been pretty deeply in bed with the fossil fuel industry for a long time. He's, but you know, I mean, he's a Westerner. He has some affinity for public lands. He's not the worst of the worst over there, but, and I, you know, I I still believe that. I think that he is, you know, somebody you can work with. I don't, I, you know, I don't think he's, has our, best interest at heart by any means. Um, well, let's catch you know. up. And what, what exactly happened? We're outside our outside magazine, did a little piece on this. That's what Grace and I read, but what's, what's the whole story now? So, uh, bears ears in Southeastern Utah is a huge area with like a ton of really important significance for the, uh, uh, some of the Indian tribes down there, like a ton of, you know, antiquities and cultural resources, super important area, uh, these groups have been lobbying for years to have a national mine designated down there to protect in part against energy development, but also a lot of um, sort of like looting of cultural artifacts that have been going on, has been going on down there. It also includes the San Juan river, which is like a pretty nice, like class two kind of float trip, I think. Um, and 
like more significantly for outdoor recreation, some like really, really premier climbing areas like uh, Indian Creek, which I think is, you know, I'm not, I'm not a climber, but it's a iconic area. Um, so, you know, for years, the Utah delegation, which is kind of the, the congressional delegation, which are, you know, those guys are some of the most extreme opponents of public lands protections led by this guy, Rob Bishop, who's the chair of the House Natural Resources Committee. Uh, there's actually a really good profile of him in outside like two days ago that is, is worth a read. Um, but he worked for a couple of years on this big package of kind of public lands issues in southeastern Utah that he was calling the Public Lands Initiative. And it would have created some new wilderness, some national conservation areas, and then also some zones that would have prioritized energy development. Um, you know, done some land exchanges with the state of Utah. And, you know, it was this big thing that he was working on to try and kind of address a bunch of land management issues down there for a couple of years. And he ultimately included some stuff in there that was basically just non-starters, like things that were really like undermining the integrity of the Wilderness Act and, you know, public participation. But, you know, it's part, and so, this, you know, his proposal ultimately never made it out for a vote in, at the end of the last Congress. So, you know, he was working for a long time to try to craft some sort of compromise solution for public land protection in southeastern Utah. And the Obama administration held off on doing anything on Utah until these guys basically had every chance to work this out. And you know, he couldn't get this thing up for a vote. And so because the need to do something to protect these areas was really pressing at the end of the administration, he designated this national monument. And the boundaries of the national monument very closely track the national conservation areas and wilderness areas that were proposed in Bishop's PLI. So even Rob Bishop, who's one of the biggest, you know, opponents of protected public land, agrees that something very closely resembling this boundary deserves some form of permanent protection. So this was not some, you know, 11th hour thing that the Obama administration did. There are a lot of good reasons why this happened at the end of the administration. And, you know, there was, you know, voluminous opportunities for public participation in developing this thing. The Secretary of the Interior went out to Utah. We shared tons of maps with uh, Department of Interior and the, Council for Environmental Quality, which is kind of the White House's environmental advisors, um, tons of meetings, you know, with climbers, with all sorts of folks. Um, you know, this was something that was not developed, like, behind closed doors or just in secrecy. There was, you know, massive amounts of public participation in the development of this thing. So, nevertheless, you know, I think that what Bishop wanted was to have you know, these conservation areas be part of some sort of trade-off for areas that we're going to get, you know, uh, prioritize energy development or, you know, some sort of bad things that he wanted to cram through and he wanted to use the need for protection for this area as a leverage, as leverage to get those things. So instead, we just got the conservation piece without the energy development stuff that he wanted. And so he's fired up about it. Everybody in Utah like hates Barack Obama or whatever. And so these guys are like, this is the height of tyranny. We have to roll back this national monument. And, you know, between 
you know, the, the power that these guys have in Congress and their connections with the energy industry, somehow they've managed to get the ear of the Trump administration on this thing. And Zinke announced that they were going to do this review of national monuments going back to 1996. And the reason they went back to 1996 is there was another kind of controversial monument designation. <laughs> They're about to throw up. <laughs> you all right? I got the bells too loudly in the middle of that. <laughs> in the middle of my soliloquy. Um, yeah, so like in the Clinton administration in 96, he designated Grand Staircase Escalante, which is another national monument in Utah that was also controversial. I can't really speak to the specifics of the development of that. Um. What's going on? Yes, sawing. Somebody's got my driveway driveway running a bandsaw. <laughs> Super professional. <laughs> oh, this is our um, closing episode of the Hammer Factor. Hang on. <laughs> oh, there we go. Um So the reason he went back to nineteen ninety six is he wanted to be able to sort of go after that monument also potentially and the announcement was that they were going to review monuments going back to 1996 that were over 100,000 acres or that they deemed to have had inadequate public participation in their development so that means basically any national monument going back to 1996 and so and so you know this small area of bears here ear that he said do you think this is like really something they're trying to do or is this a kind of a token gesture to say that they're going to battle. I mean, is this a long uphill fight for them to actually roll back the designation of this land? Is it, where are we at in the process? It's unclear to me what these guys are actually going to do because if they really do try to make um, changes, like very significant changes to the boundaries of Bears Ears or eliminate it just through executive authority, it's exceedingly unclear that they have the legal authority to do that and they're going to get sued and it's not clear that they're going to prevail on that at all. It's going to become a big legal fight like immediately. Huh. I mean, much why, like... Why, since that's Hood River and you have a guy in your yard with a, making that rack and I'm picturing Teo Berman shirtless with jean shorts with a circular saw <laughs> like, like a boat rack in your yard. <laughs> that's what picturing goes on over there in Hood River. <laughs> that's probably not that far from the truth. Hang on for two seconds, right? I'm going to close the windows. <laughs> I'm leaving this in. I'm recording a kayaking pot. I'm recording the hammer. You've heard of it. It's like a structure. He's like, hell yeah. All right, sorry. <laughs> sorry, boys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Were you like, hey, Hammer Factor, you ever heard of it? <laughs> What's going on in here right now? <laughs> Thank you. Pretty much. So where were we at before the, uh, the racket there? Well, what did I mean? What did Zinke do? I mean, what's the latest news in this? He's he said he's going to. He announced make, that he's he's going to recommend rolling back, or that he's going to recommend boundary changes. But there were no maps, no specifics of what they were going to actually roll back. So there is some precedent for minor boundary adjustments, but that's not 
the impression of what they're, you know, that's not the impression they're giving of what they're planning to do. So we're kind of going to wait and see. They did extend the comment period for Bears Ears to the middle of July, along with the rest of the national monuments that are under review. So if you haven't fired up a comment yet, please do so. Um, you know, one does this, at the same time, does this fall into the executive? Does this fall into the executive order category where if Zinke suggests that Trump could just like that's it, it's done, or we passed that that window already? That's what they're going to try to do, uh, presumably, but it's not clear that they have the legal authority to do that. I mean, I think we've already seen plenty of examples of the Trump administration throwing out these executive orders and them immediately getting challenged in court and, you know, the people challenging them prevailing, right? I mean, like like the travel ban is a perfect example, right? I mean, it's just not clear that the things that he's trying to do, he has the legal authority to do them. And I mean, it's also, I think, becoming increasingly clear that you know, the Republicans in Congress don't really have their shit together and the Trump administration does not have the wherewithal to work with Congress, particularly in a bipartisan fashion to accomplish things. So they're just trying to kind of, you know, make these big unilateral symbolic gestures. And, you know, that's kind of the only play we've seen them run so far. Right. I mean, so along the same lines, Washington Post this week or today, I guess, did an article on this, the new secrecy of both lawmakers and the administration, um, where it's, you know, obviously the health care bill is the most obvious one, but you have policy changes being made at the EPA. You have lawmakers able to make requests to administration to their committee heads, cameraless press briefings, you know, the guest logs at the White House are now you know, under wraps, uh, tax returns aren't being released. How hard is this making your job harder to get this stuff done? I mean, are you seeing this in what you do? Yeah. I mean, I think for us, I mean, it is very hard to sort of get a window into what's going on at interior and, uh, you know, the forest service, Forest Service didn't have a, uh, or the Department of Agriculture didn't have a secretary until, you know, just a few weeks ago. You know, it seems like it's still sort of a, a ghost ship over at Interior and that there's just not a lot of people working there who are, you know, political appointees at this point because Trump hasn't nominated, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, you know, kind of sub-cabinet level positions that require Senate confirmation yet. I, I, we're definitely hearing rumors about things going on in interior that are, you know, a little bit disturbing, but, you know, I think in terms of, you know, what the, what the agencies can do without, uh, you know, without public process, without going through rulemaking under like the administrative procedure act where there's opportunity for notice and comment and things like that, you know, they're, their ability to do things sort of just on on a whim are kind of circumscribed, I guess. Um, you know, with Congress, I, I think that the, the public land stuff has been somewhat on the back burner compared to these other big things that they're trying to work on. But yes, I mean, I, I think that the stuff you're pointing out is, you know, it's, it's disturbing just from a <laughs> you know, democracy standpoint, right? I mean, it's like, what are these guys... Like, how do you, how do you justify any of that? It's, you know, it's like, if you guys feel good about the work you're doing, if you're, you know, think that people like 
the course of action you're proposing, you're not going to do it, you know, as, as clandestinely as possible. It's just, it's a, I don't know, it's disturbing, right? So what do you, what, what, when something like this comes up, Lewis, what do you and your team do? Do you, do you, does this change your course of action, what you're working on? Do you devote more resources to something like this? How do you pick your battles? All this stuff. Like for bear's ears or for? Yeah, for bear's ears in particular. Well, I mean, that was a big campaign that we were working on through, you know, the last two years of the Obama administration, I would say. I mean, I think that once that proposal came out, you know, we would look, you know, if there's a proposal for some sort of protections, we're going to look really carefully and see you know, what the recreation resources are in that area, whether this is something that's, you know, a priority for our member organizations and our members. So, you know, Bears Rose is a priority for us because there are these really premier climbing resources there. And, you know, the, the climbers want to make sure that, you know, if there are protections for these areas, that they're developed in a way that's mindful of, of climbing, basically. And, you know, there was some paddling down there. There's some mountain biking. And so it was something that, you know, we would kind of have that conversation with the policy professionals at all of our member organizations, like, you know, AW, IMBA, Access Funds. You know, Did outdoor whole, retailer early on play a factor in you really latching onto this issue? I mean, it seems like because outdoor retailers in Utah, this issue, which I don't know how unique it is, but it got a lot of press in the outdoor industry and suddenly everyone in the outdoor industry seems to know about, about this issue. And I know, I, I mean, you cannot touch outdoor retailer right now without hearing about, about this in some capacity. Yeah. I mean, I think a big part of that was just Patagonia. I mean, this was something that they had made a big priority out of and they sure. did a big campaign around it. And those guys obviously carry a lot of weight in the outdoor industry. Hmm. Uh, but I mean, for us, I don't, and that's not really a part of the calculus. I mean, I think that we're, yeah, we're good partners with Outdoor Industry Association, and you know, I, I think if there's something that's a priority for them, we'll certainly give that a hard look. But, but I mean, to your benefit, I think this became a high-profile issue <laughs> because of Outdoor yeah. Taylor. Yeah, you know what I mean. You guys, yeah. you guys picked the right horse there. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on in Utah, right? I mean, it's kind of ground zero for this uh, state takeover of public lands idea. Uh, there's a lot of like premier recreation resources there. There's just, you know, a and lot of uh, retailer show. Yeah. And outdoor retailer. Well, take a, take a tip from Adenitarian, donate some money to outdoor Alliance. You guys are doing awesome work. Thanks Lewis. Heavy stuff, man, you. dude, you're like, I mean, you got a, you got, you got bulletproof vests over there. I mean, it is going on. Man. <laughs> you guys got your work cut out for you. I mean, what do you do every day, Grace? You're over there, like, curing leukemia? I mean, what's <laughs> what's going on over there? Man, <laughs> what, have you, what have you done today? I just develop a bunch of content. Gelt Gel was up at five this morning preparing <sighs> white papers. There is, there is. Monographs. How, how's the white paper coming? <laughs> Briefings. <laughs> Pretty good, man. Almost there. Sick. All right, should we move on to our thing uh, up one of these days and we can talk about it? Yeah. You guys aren't bored the tedium by it all at this that point. No, not at all. Should, should we move on to our uh, our special guest, James Bird, organizer of the North Fork Championship? Yeah, let's. Let's see if I can get James in here. You know, I think James is the orga- James is the organizer of this event, so we're gonna get we're gonna get a glowing review of the event. It is a spectacular event, no doubt. But afterwards, Gellman, I want to get your 
your behind the scenes you know i mean i i have nothing but good things to say either i'm just like so blown away by the whole thing like james's organization paddling just all of it man james you there yes yeah how are you oh look at this on video yeah you got it all figured out james welcome to the hammer factor thanks for coming on dude thanks for having me all right well let me start off um I know I spoke with you early, early on, before there was a North Fork Championship, and uh, a lot of people know what the North Fork Championship is, but briefly, kind of uh, give the, introduce yourself, uh, give the history of the event and what it is. Yeah, right on, man. And pretty crazy chatting again six years ago about it. First of all, I apologize for my voice, dude. I... uh, (laughs) The parties just destroy it in the bars, like the yelling the whole time. And my voice box is pretty wimpy. Let me know if I need to repeat anything. I'm trying to make it tougher. but um, you, you actually sound better than I was expecting. <laughs> nice. I mean, I'm just surprised how clear your internet connection is in Idaho compared to West Virginia. <laughs> well, good. I need all the help I can get on that. How's it going, Lewis? <clears throat> good, man. Feeling, feeling recovered from the weekend. You? <laughs> uh, getting there dude but only only on the up and up so i'm still um man uh yeah really cool chat with you a long time ago and you being an event organizer what is it the 22nd year now with the green race yep 22nd super cool man um definitely inspired with energy from events like that and stuff but you called and we're like hey man this there's going to be controversies there's going to be crazy things but just stick to your gut do what you want to do it's your race make it happen how you want to make it happen. And, and that was just good energy in a sense of like, yeah, uh, see through what you want to see happen. And man, uh, having it be the sixth year, it's finally where we dreamed of for sure. Um, but basically it's an event just north of Boise, Idaho. Um, really big uh, population in Boise, but it's like probably 40 to 50 miles north of that on a river called the North Fork of the Payette. Um, three different sections of it, a qualifier race, uh, boater cross race, and then kind of the main event on the marquee rapid Jacob's ladder and the golf course. Um, and yeah, we, we start the weekend out with a film and a photo festival in Boise and, um, and then kind of move it up to the weekend for the rest of the weekend and camp and paddle super fun. And so real quick, before we get into some other questions, a lot of, uh, a lot of boys from around here, all say you guys, you should go out to North Fork race and they, and they say, well, we don't want to race Jake's, but there's a lot more to the event than just racing Jake's, correct? For sure, man. That's that's kind of like anything, you like headline stuff of like the most dangerous event in the world and stuff like that. It's like catchy and they do they, those terms get the big eyebrows. But man, there's the South Fork of the Payette. There's so many other rivers to paddle. There's a couple different sections of the event. Um, it's just why we have those so people can race and paddle with these pros, but not necessarily have to be on Jake's, um, big time, man. Everyone's invited and especially East coasters. Yeah. Stoked on that. To me, Yeah. To me, that's like such a cool thing about like going on a paddling trip to the North Fork is it's just like right there in just the tightest circle. There's everything from like, you can go around the main with somebody who's been paddling for a week and it's just like fun, big water class two to class three, four on the South fork to, you know, kind of four plus five minus on the bottom five to like the best paddlers in the world, scaring themselves stupid. 
And it's like, you can all just like camp in the same place and everything is just like puddings and takeouts are all the same. And it's all like right there, which is awesome car camping. And, you know, you can just go up there with like the most mixed ability level group and like everybody's going to have an awesome time. And like, to me, that was like one of the things, I mean, there's a lot that was just sick this weekend, but I feel like the race itself has always been badass and it was even more badass this year with the high water but i feel like just everything around the race is really like coming to its own like it's got to be the only kayaking race where you know if you have no interest in racing it's still going to be just like an awesome time like awesome river festival like you're not going to be like over it just because you're not racing jakes I, f- I feel like the i feel like that race reached some kind of critical mass this year because i heard more talk and buzz about that event than ever by magnitude of 10 this year. I mean, people were talking about that race months ago and the, and leading up to it. And Kara was on the website, reading all the bios and following the race. You know, she'd never done anything like that before. So something's working, you know, <laughs> finally. So <laughs> give us some behind the scenes. Um, and this, these things interest me specifically because I've yeah. been a part of some of it directing, um, uh, what, yeah. were you, what were your thoughts leading up to it with the super high water? I think we were hovering at six, close to six gram for a while before the race. What did you work something out with the dam operators? How was that? Uh, how'd you how'd you handle that? Man, I, it just it just came to the forefront with the uh, with everything. There's and you know event organization. There's a million balls in the air that you're trying to keep going and kind of triage them uh, most appropriately with the time accordingly and. Every year it's something, dude, and I knew having the race course on that rapid, would that's going to happen. We're going to have high water on it. But it, that was kind of my dream, too, was like that river and its true nature with these amazing paddlers there to showcase the port, sport, not to do it loosely, but to showcase it. And um, so I, I wanted to do that, and I wanted to do that well, but I wanted it to come from the riders. So we had a bunch of meetings about how they were feeling it and if they were feeling it and just the intensity of it and if they wanted to race it because at a certain point in the race i need to start planning to make it happen we can't just saturday morning change the event from jake's to like s turn because the kayakers don't want to do it that morning i can't i can't move a couple thousand people from the side of the road and move them up to the side of s turn just doesn't work you know everything everything on the highway is permitted for those times um on Saturday, there's 17,000 cars that drive by there that I've talked to the Idaho Transportation Department just to kind of get numbers for mass gathering safety and stuff. And so the big thing before the race was to try to get that permit for S-Turn to see if people wanted to not do it. Then we'd try to get the ramp up there. We'd try to move everything to S-Turn and and uh, and trying to talk to the dam operators and the water master and, and all that stuff, which I tried to talk to them all year about uh, more water and cause we've always been low water at the North Fork. Um, so not, not, uh, not big changes or anything, but like, uh, just start good conversations with them for in the future. Um, so basically high water man was complete priority. Not that it always hasn't been safety, but, uh, high water just notched it up. And I really just wanted to work closely with the athletes and see if they're feeling it, if they're going to start pushing it. And, um, yeah. So Gelman, how, how hard is Jake's at this water level? Like give, give us, give us an idea of what kind of rapid we're talking about. 
it's I a mean, small, I didn't of course. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small, of course, to this thing, right? I mean, that's that's the that's the nut of this particular aspect of, of that that race. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I mean, I don't know. To me, looking at it, you know, it was just like a touch under four thousand this year. I think, you know, in the past, it's been between probably eighteen and twenty five hundred. Um, and it's just like, you know, I mean, it's probably what, like three quarters of a mile long of whitewater of the course, mm-hmm. a mile long. And it's just so continuous and so big. And like any, you know, kind of 75 yard section of it would be, you know, pretty stout, but like approachable, but it's just like that for three quarters of a mile. Right. But like when you look at it at that level, like to me looking at it, it's sort of like everything is super, super intimidating, but there aren't that many places where you're like you cannot be there it's sort of like you're probably going to be called upon to do some some dealing you might find yourself upside down in a place where you really want to roll up very quickly but it's not like there's a bunch of horrible hazards that you need to avoid it's sort of like the continuousness of it is the hazard is that i don't know do you agree with that james oh man no you're awesome i think um I think you nailed it in a sense on parts of the rapid where um, you're going, gosh, you're going probably 30 plus miles an hour. Even on the lower course, I was setting the course next to Gerd on the river and he wasn't even really paddling going like 23 miles an hour. So I would roughly guess it's like 30 miles an hour. So that's definitely a hazard. And the, the high water makes the hydraulics just super violent. Because of the river wide hole at the bottom, and it is just insane, like a 12-foot drop with like six feet of water going over it. That you, That's usually the normal finish line, Lewis. I don't know if you... Oh, no, I didn't even go down there. <laughs> dude, that's what gets insane about this rapid at high water. Um, it literally is a river-wide catcher's mitt that you can sneak on both sides. Um, but we, we shortened the course ahead of that um, for safety reasons. Um, and usually gate four, which is an upgate, is now a big ledge hole. Um, those, and then where the finish line was now was like a haystack wave hole, but those three features would a million percent hold you until you did not want to come out. So, they're, they're, <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> there's just a lot of things kind of going on that increase the danger of it. For there's sure. some rocks in there too. I mean, I saw, I saw Fuseli banged up his hand on something. I heard people, people talking about rocks in there and there. No, totally, man. That's, that's the kind of the the hardest part about this river is the river bed with the blast yeah. drop from the road and the highway or the train. Um, <clears throat> but the only thing about good water that is more safe is that it does kind of cushion that out a little bit and not that we err on that or that it gets safer, but the flow actually does kind of raise you up from the gnarly river bed a little bit. So right. that's kind of nice. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, we, you touched on safety a little bit. I'm sure that, with your insurance, you have to have a detailed safety plan turned in before you can get everything and the permits and whatnot. How how do you? What's your philosophy on safety for an event like this? Uh, man, at uh, these higher flows, uh, no one's in the water unless you're like live bait tied, which we had a couple of people kind of penulin them people in above gnarly sections and above that river wide hole after the finish line if people were tired. Um, Oh, and at Rodeo Hole, we have live bait there as well. Um, And then, but like this year, we usually have kayaks on the course. We didn't have any kayaks on the course until the very bottom, just because 
no matter how good of a kayaker you are, you're not going to be having someone on your boat on Jake's and golf course. Like no one should be doing. <laughs> yeah, we did switch it up a little bit on things like that, but um, we usually we rally just like people that paddle it and locals that paddle it that might not necessarily want to race it that are incredibly good paddlers that help out with safety. But this year to bolster it up a little bit, we did hit out some social media help and. Man, we got doctors that were certified and a bunch of kayakers that were certified that just rallied on that just bolstered it even more and more and more. So it was like super sick to have that. And everyone had a good time to where I think we'll just kind of maintain that regardless of water flow. Cool. Yeah, I know for Green Race, uh, we have like 16 on water people and then we have the EMS crews there. But a big thing that I've always been a proponent of is all of the racers have their ropes with them every day and so or all the time when they're out there and so you know you have that crew that maybe didn't quite make the cut to race jakes and whatnot but i'm sure they're all there um ready to spring into action super cool and 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 competitions at this this level you think that there would be ego and stuff and 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 an x amount in kayaking but really you've seen it not much man and people are so down if they're not racing it even if however they got into the categories they're like so cool to help hold the bag and be there to help out. It's just really cool. And we need it. The other thing I want to touch on safety is um, we have all the people in the safety, but we also have an ambulance. And then uh, Air St. Luke's uh, hosts their helicopter at our event, which would be the number one work from working in a hospital would be the number one thing we would need if we had a blunt force, force trauma, uh, flush, um, swim down the river type event. Um, so feel pretty fortunate on that just from, uh, get them to the hospital quick. Cause we are out there a little bit. Well, man, give us a, give us a quick wrap up here of the race. What, uh, tell me about some of the standout athletes. Just give us a, give us the rundown. Yeah, right on. Um, man, it, the water was six grand and it dropped to three grand. Um, so I was thinking that there would just not be as many expert qualifier, um, racers. And I was just like, all right, it's just gonna be a smaller year. Um, and our thing was, if you're not like, if you're not practicing, you're not racing. I don't want to have people probing the course or probing the ramp when if they haven't been on it, not to incentivize racing, but to incentivize good judgment and not to be loose. But damn dude, we usually have like a hundred racers in the qualifier and there was 83 this year. So people are just like, they're paddling well and, and doing a good job, even though it, it kind of got more gnarly. Um, Really cool seeing uh, Gerd come back and win the qualifier, dude. He's been out hurt and injured, and I've had a bout of injuries to know that it's frustrating and, and hard to uh, come back and go as hard as you can. It was really cool seeing Gerd strong again um, in the qualifier. The boater cross was really cool, man. Uh, more participants than we've ever had. I think S-Turn's a super sick course for that, and people really enjoyed it. But you, God, Dane was so impressive there, dude. He won every single heat. He was good energy the whole time. And uh, just as far as, like, just in incredible shape, you know. He crushed the race and just come be good energy around and win every single heat and then won the finals. And it was crazy. We make a bracket and you, so you can see the heats. And each heat was just so stout, but it just got more and more stout until the finals. And Dane just kept winning it, which is super impressive. And he repeated in that as well as the Jake's race. And um, the big kind of thing for me with the Jake's race was, again, dude, it's what I dreamed of, of what it would just look like on a pure, like, aesthetic level of, like, man, I would – we don't count numbers, and it's kind of hard to, but – and I would at least say a 1,000-plus people there. Um, 
people hiking in from parking their cars had to hike 20 minutes along the highway, which is good that nothing went wrong, but stoked for the growth that we had. But man, um, just how the race went down, the setup that it is, kind of the stage for these athletes to go and compete at that level was really neat to see and and scary for every single paddler. Every single paddler told me that. It went from terrifying to scary after six grand to three grand, which is awesome. <laughs> but um, everyone was scared. But man, what happened, and I've been fortunate enough to be part of a, like a national championship football team and just watch competitions at a high level. When pe- and when people stop worrying as much about the, the scariness of it and the danger and they, they start competing – what happened the second round, man, you saw what people had. People saw the winning run, and they knew they had to beat it. And, dude, they just started lacing the course. It was crazy. It was so athletic and impressive and exactly what I dreamed of, that it was like – it was awesome, man. And then when the last person made it down safe, it was just like – it was super, super. Yeah, I bet you felt good. <laughs> oh, shit. Dude, I was so stoked, man. Oh, uh, big yeah. congrats. Thank you, dude. Yeah, seriously, man. It was just, it was next level. It was really cool to see. Just like the level of paddling was so yeah. high. I mean, yep. just, yeah, I mean, just to go out and run that rapid, that level to me is, is a big deal. And to see, you know, to see the runs that people were putting down, like with that level of precision is just yeah. super, super impressive. Dude, totally, man. I, uh, it just reconfirmed to me that this shit's not loose and that these paddlers are that good and um, they just performed. It was really cool to see have it happen. Well, and it's, it's just cool to see, like, just to see the bar raised, like, right in front of your eyes, you know, like, for it to go from the night before the best paddlers in the world being, like, you know, deep breath, like, this is, this is scary to seeing you know, being like, I don't, you know, God, man, like, I don't know if I want to run this right now and just kind of sweating it to seeing by the end of the next day, seeing like, you know, 20 or 30 super, super, super high quality runs. It's like, to me, that just sort of opens people's eyes to what's possible. And yeah, Dude, completely. Really, like, you just see progression in like just such a Watch short it. amount of time. And that's a pretty unique thing. I don't know. It's cool. It was insane. You could see it, dude. You could see them paddle so hard into Jake off the rim. You're like, what in the hell is going on? And then Rodeo Hole was like kicking everyone's ass the first round. And then, dude, like the last 12 people just didn't even get their bow wet. Dude. They were just like on it, sprinting through Jake's, everything. Like, really cool, man. Well, good it's on a you. cool thing about, about competition. I mean, I feel like this is kind of like a, a smaller scale example of this, but you know, like the right side of the spout on Great Falls and the Potomac, like, well, like you remember, like when we were kids, like you thought that if you ever went over there, you were going to die. Mm-hmm. And then somebody kind of figured out that you could run it. And it was still this like super scary thing. And then the Great Falls race came one year and there was this realization that like, if you wanted to win that race, you had to run that line. Cause it was just that much faster. And over the course of like a day, this line that had been run maybe a dozen times suddenly got run like a hundred times and it just, everybody's eyes opened and it was like the whole thing was just never the same after that because everybody was just like, well, like that's it now, you know? And it's sort of, I I don't know if the same thing is really possible on high water jakes like that, but it was to me just sort of like similar. Class class three plus now. (laughs) (laughs) Idaho class three plus easy four. 
But just sort of the ability of like an event to like push the sport in that way is, I don't know, it's cool to see. You're right, man. And we do get a hard rap sometimes uh, on that, that it's loose and not smart. And I haven't seen a ton of the social media yet because there's no damn internet or cell service up there the entire time, which is kind of awesome, but kind of funny too. Um, but there definitely is people that are not stoked on it. And I think that um, from an event organizer slash all, everyone that paddles kind of at that level saw it and saw that, hey, it's been risen. And it doesn't take away from the seriousness of it, even at the uh, Great Falls, that move. But people are, know it now and they're able to do it. And it's just, it's risen. So it's really cool to see. What's the negative? What's, what are people saying who are, who are giving you grief about this? Um, you know, again, I haven't looked a ton into it, but I think, uh, the quick thing that I saw was that people are doing this for entertainment over at the risk of lives of others. And, and they've probably been in personal contact with the people that have been hurt on that river. Um, which I totally get it. I totally understand. There's nothing more important than that. But the way we drive it from an event standpoint is we want the athletes to make the call. And if they feel safe doing it and they feel like they want to do it, um, then that's something we want to showcase. There you go. I, like yeah, it. I think you do a really good job of walking that line, man. <clears throat> it's not easy, dude. A lot of, a lot of, you got a big monkey on your back there, man. Yeah. No, man, it's definitely something we're constantly working with, but also, uh, also trying to create a good, uh, game, uh, like, a format moving forward, you know, kind of with the whole entire thing. But, um, couple people were there this year that have worked at Red Bull Rampage and Nitro Games and X Games and stuff and just kind of start uh, stoked to get them involved and kind of just also pick their brain on just, um, yeah, that risk, that how you can be set up, how you can do the best you can to make it happen, but showcase it and showcase it well. And yeah, feeling, feeling good about it, but it's definitely always there, man, and always on my mind for sure. I think I think after this year, next year, you better get ready for, for 100% growth rate in that in that event. That's going to become the new the new green race. <laughs> oh man, no! Green race will always be the green race. <laughs> it's like the new standard, though. Like if you're going to do an, like an extreme race, you got to go to the North Fork. So like every second year raft guide in Ohio pile is coming out there next year. Get ready. <laughs> <laughs> um, everyone's invited. No, nothing love for our sister events, dude. Uh, green race, the. Uh, Big Fork Whitewater Festival has been going on for 43 years. It's just so cool to see the community and the energy and the people. And, and that's what this whole thing's about too. You know, it's like um, people from all over the world coming together. And, and I give kayakers shit all the time for being late and being and like chill and stuff. But it really is a good approach to life. And, and uh, this area is a really good place to like enjoy that. And um, yeah, it's really cool. Well, man, big congrats. And thanks for coming on the Hammer Factor, James. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me, John. All and John, it's right. yeah. good to chat with you guys. Yeah, thanks, thanks for coming dude. on. That's great. Congrats, See you, man. Thank you, guys. We'll be in touch. There you go. That's there pretty good. So what do, you, what do you think? I think the North Fork is the new premier whitewater race in the United States. Yeah, I'd probably say that. I would have said that. I would have said that two years ago, but I'd say it now. Yeah. And it wasn't because of high water. I felt this building all year. Yeah, well, it's a credible event. I mean, I just love the giant slalom format. Remember when I tried to pitch the giant slalom to you, Weld, and you said I was bastardizing slalom? No, I never would have said that. <laughs> I remember when you put that whole series of races on. I thought that was the raddest thing ever, man. It was, I mean, man. I, that was like, 
like what James did with the Northbrook race. I mean, to me, that was like my dream when I was like 18, 20, 25 years old, because you know, slalom, like traditional slalom was just moving more and more towards these flat, lame, artificial courses. And you just wanted to like see the progression of the sport into something that was, I don't know, like more spectacular, more connected with river running. Just like, I don't know, I think just coming from that background growing up of like kind of a mix of river running and slalom, it's like, that's what I always wanted to see. And like, I mean, I don't think that in my mind it was ever going to be Jacob's ladder at 4,000, but you know, well, when we did water and like those pieces put on were sweet, man. Yeah. When I did that first giant slalom series, number one, it was a big success. All those events went off really well. What really killed that series was it was 2008 and in 2009, I mean, you know, the whole economy crashed and it was a big effort putting the whole thing on. And like, it was just, I mean, it literally came down to, wow, here we are in 2009. Everybody wants to do this series again, but I just did not have, I couldn't, I didn't have the resources to make it happen, to, to make it happen again. So I just love it that there's a giant slalom on the little white now. And I love it that there's one out on the pay up. So it was, it was not all for not. <laughs> Visionary. Um, hey, let's talk about let's talk about the uh, New York Times article on uh, SUP. Ah, yes. Yeah. Fill us in on this article, and then I'll chime in, John. You know, it's actually it's actually a really good segue because we can talk about the role of these governing bodies in the you know stagnation of sport as part of this conversation right. this, this would be, and this be compelling for so many people <laughs> oh, i forgot to ask james so, when he was adding the uh the uh, sup division to the north championship new york times did this article uh saying that um the court of arbitration for the sport i, I don't know what that is or what for, I, i'm guessing it's something to do with the olympics yeah what is that um, you should ask kara what that is what what is that well, I'm going to guess. I'm just going to go on a limb and say it's the Olympics. But basically, surfing and the international, you know, NSA, which is the National Surfing Association, and the and the ICF, International Canoe Federation, are fighting over a chance to call SUP their own sport. Um, yeah. And you know, with the, with the Olympics, you know, they want more events for their for their sport, right? So having another paddle sports event would be a good thing for paddle sports, and having a surfing event would be a good thing for surfing. Uh, and so they take this to arbitration. And oddly enough, uh, they both are dying to get a piece of this. Um, I would say surfing could have it. I mean, that'd be my opinion. They could take it. Uh, but no one's listening to me. <laughs> well, um, I mean, it what, seems like if it goes to the Olympics, it's going to be a format much more analogous to like sprint kayaking, right? Well, you know, the thing is like, so I remember, you know, when Kara was, was vying for the Olympics, you know, I remember it was a big deal because you, you have these premier Olympic events like track and field, and they have a certain number of medals that they, that they're allotted every year for the Olympics and track and field is the biggest one. It's the most traditional Olympic sport. But when, when, when whitewater became part of flat water, you know, when whitewater was introduced to the Olympics, it was a real problem because it was starting to get close to the number of medals that track and field had, which is a no, no. Um, so they started pairing back events from 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 paddle sports, and I think that's when they. What did they do? They did they got rid of some some events, right? Didn't they? 
I mean, there's not that many. I don't know. I don't know. Dude, anyway, when, but you when start only- talking, looking at flat water events, you know, with the K- K4 1000 and K4 4000, it goes on and on and on and on. Um, so it's it's some kind of Olympic issue. Maybe next week, Kara can address us more. I'm sure she has more about it. I, 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 just, I just think it's all so parochial and so, like, it's just, like, these, like, old white men in Europe who, <laughs> you know, live in, like, Lucerne or something and, like, want, right. like piece of this action and right. whatever they get their hooks into it's just going to be like endless stagnation it's like having just like i mean i mean my theory has long been that the olympics killed whitewater slalom in the united states i, I think my right. closely I, held I, theory. I completely agree yeah. my, my take on this huh. is the olympics number one is lost credibility completely when they took wrestling out of it so, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't even really exist. Wrestling anymore. is in the Olympics, isn't it? No, I mean, they're like Greco-Roman wrestling. No, it's back. They talked about cutting it. And then they no, they it, did cut it, and there was a huge uproar. It was on the chopping. Actually, they didn't right. cut it, but it was on the chopping block. But to even put that sport on, anyway, no, I, I totally agree. It's ridiculous, man. The yeah. Olympics are. But but back to who should get SUP surfing or paddle sports? I'm going to say paddle sports, and here's why. Because every surfer I know poo-poos on the paddleboarders out there in the lineup or being around or whatever. They don't even want them on the beach. Now all of a sudden they do want them on the beach? What's up with that? And I think the governing body wants them on the beach. I don't think the actual participants do. Exactly. And I, I think that the people who actually participate in surfing probably roll their eyes pretty hard at the idea of surfing being an Olympic sport too, you know? <laughs> yeah, good point. Right. I mean, I think the climbers certainly have mixed feelings about it. But I, long story short, I surf yeah, yeah. and paddleboard, and paddleboarding is paddling. It's way more close to like when I go kayaking than is surfing. So. I, I would guess there's a lot of paddle sport people out there really excited, or paddleboarding people out there really excited about SUP being in the Olympics. And my advice would be be careful what you wish for because it it's not super helpful to everybody. That's for sure. Well so. said. That's that's uh, yeah. that's a kind of a catch twenty two so, there. Oddly enough, along the same lines, we also had uh, Rafa running Outlet Falls in an inflatable crab. Have we all seen this video? I saw the video, and I think I sent the email. Has the Pacific Northwest jumped the shark? Has it happened, Lewis? It's jumped the crab. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what it takes to get noticed now? You have to start running the waterfalls on inflatable toys? This is a big waterfall. This is what, 70-foot waterfall? Yeah. Yeah, 70 feet. 70 feet. On an inflatable crab. I mean... And he held on to that thing all the way to the end, too. I mean, I'll give him credit. You know? Yeah. Successful. Are you, I would say... Are you I would doing pose this a question for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's a thing. Everybody's doing it. Future <laughs> the sport. <laughs> I heard Confluence is a whole line of inflatable crabs ah. coming out for 2019. Inflatable lobsters, the new tuna. Right. Oh, so, God. is inflatable lobsters, should they be part of kayaking or part of SUP? <laughs> and I would argue they should be part of SUP. <laughs> uh, okay. I mean, certainly if you're looking at, yeah. Moving on from yep. that. Do you have an answer? Is that is that the new that? thing gonna out there? Are we gonna be seeing more inflatable waterfall running, or is this a one and done thing? 
Oh. It's been a long, it's been a long secret tradition here in Ohio pile, going over the Ohio pile falls and various inflatable guys. devices. Quite a while ago, you know, uh, Celestial Falls out here is actually illegal to kayak. And quite a while ago, some guys went and took pool toys over Celestial as a sort of a protest over this stupid regulation because it is not illegal to swim over Celestial with a pool toy, but it is illegal to kayak it. <laughs> so maybe we do have a long history of pool float waterfall running out here. All right. Uh, can, also, can we... Metlaco has been tubed twice now. Hmm. Rolf Kelly and uh, my buddy Nico, some of his uh, college friends, not even kayakers, went up there and uh, gave her hell. Right, there you go. <laughs> I guess that's how you make it now. Can we move on to this creature craft thing? Because this creature craft thing is blowing up and reminds me of my trip to Russia when they had these Ubalinks and they were throwing parachutes out of them to get themselves out of a hole. Does right. anybody know the inside scoop on these things? What is going on? I'll tell you what it reminds me of is, uh, did you guys have, like when I was in high school in physics class, we had like the egg drop competition where you had to engineer this sort of contraption out of drinking straws and, you know, like a few sheets of notebook paper and then drop your egg in this structure that you've created off of like a 50 foot building. And if your egg survives, then you, you know, that was like what you're, grade was based on was like how successfully your egg survived this fall <laughs> that's like that's what creature crafting reminds me of is it's sort of like an engineering challenge to send like some hapless dude down an enormous rapid with no you well, know operation you, you, on his own end whatsoever can somebody I know read you guys this do- in the show notes here somebody should read read this john you wrote that. that this darren vansel inventor of the creature craft runs sunset falls yeah 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 and he probably would have been fine if he just hadn't brought the oars. I don't know what he thinks he's doing with those things besides oh, oh, hitting right. himself in the face with them. Okay, so if you didn't see right. the video, Darren Vansel, inventor of the creature craft, ran Sunset Falls in a creature craft along with some other people. I don't know how many others. So Darren they said a dozen. A dozen was the number thrown around. A dozen others. I watched okay. the, the videos on the internet. You guys seen it? Yeah. Yeah. So Darren ends up in the hospital, has a GoFundMe to pay for his medical costs. Hey, can I call you on my phone? Because I can't hear anything you guys are saying. Um, we hear you fine. Let's just go ahead and ride this out. We're almost done. Can you hear that? All right. <laughs> so. I'm feeling marginalized over here. <laughs> <laughs> so pays for his medical costs. The question is, where do you, yeah, where do you begin with that? Where do you begin with that, John, when you were writing that down? What's your thought process there? All right. Do you remember? You guys don't remember this, but I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you a history lesson. Back in the '80s, there was a kind of a kooky guy named Ken Warren who ran these rafting trips. Ken Warren was kind of a. Uh, he, he was very authoritarian, and he would push these trips that he did to the utmost limits. And he went to run the Tiger Leap Gorge in China, which is on the upper, upper, upper. Yangtze, which I think is now underwater, basically from this, the dam they built there. But he started. He wanted to be the first person to take a raft down the Tiger Leap Gorge. Well, all of a sudden there was a huge burst of Chinese nationalism, and these Chinese students started building things like the creature craft. They were basically inflatable balls to float down this river. And I guess uh, uh, a couple students was, were killed doing this. So this is as far as. And then Polish these these Polish kayaking teams, you know, who were very reminiscent of these Polish mountaineers who were you know, doing all these insane first ascents over the world. They started running all these rivers in 
Latin America and these inflatable, handmade inflatable crafts as well, you know? So there is like a, a history to this, but I mean, it's not, I mean, it's not a sport. I wouldn't call it a sport or anything like that. It's just a guy in a huge inflatable ball running gigantic rapids. <laughs> <laughs> he getting beat to death. What? And now he's, now he got knocked on, this guy who did this in Sunset Falls got knocked unconscious and he was in the hospital for a few days. Now it's a GoFundMe to help pay for his hospital costs. I have yet to see a GoFundMe thing that is doesn't give me douche chills, by the way. <laughs> I mean, it seems like if you have some half-ass thing that you did wrong or screwy, <laughs> you pay for it, uh, like a free you know, trip to Hawaii for a yoga cleanse or something, you start a GoFundMe site. <laughs> well, but that's another issue. I'm just saying, I saw these Russian guys, and they were Ubalinks, and man... They got caught in a big hole and they threw a parachute out to get them out of the hole. <laughs> I heard that was what happened when the guys tried to creature craft Site Z as they got stuck in uh, that top hole or that eddy on the left, like halfway down for like 15 or 20 minutes and then eventually had to throw out their, their like sea anchor yeah. to get pulled out. And it was like on the internet and I think they... Was the they whole got- thing covered with vomit? I mean... <laughs> I don't know. It's so weird, dude. It's so weird. It's the weirdest thing, man. Seeing those guys in those, I mean, it's, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a fan. I'll just go. People have kayaked that, right? There was, a, there was a character named Rob McKibben who ran it in Odd 8, but I don't know. Do you know who that character is? Anybody? Yeah, he's a legend out here, man. He's like a, kind of a, a Tom McEwen type in a lot of ways. He's probably in his mid to late 50s, tough as nails. Yeah, just he's a character, man. Um, so, badass. Have you seen this? Have you seen this Sunset Falls in person, or oh, have you guys yeah, run this thing? Yeah, I mean, McKibben's run it. Uh, Tyler's run it. Um, Eric old, Johnson's run it. Annie yeah, that was where you all hurt his shoulder last year. Anyone's Oh, right, 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 right. But it's it's a serious piece of business. I didn't run it. I looked at it. and I was like, I'm not running that. <laughs> 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 All right, we can all agree, the three of us, that the creature craft thing needs to just kind of go away. It's no SUP. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> that's saying a lot from Lewis. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine with it as long as they're not on GoFundMe. It's going to be bailed out. <laughs> so, so rank your your preferred whitewater craft from between inflatable lobster, SUP, and creature craft. <laughs> we'll have our viewers send us, send us <laughs> viewers. Uh, your questions are creature craft, SUP, or inflatable lobster. Where's the sport going? Can we throw like, like, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to hold, I'm going to, I'm going to bite. I'm going to hold back on this one. <laughs> Come on, lay it out there. Will. No, 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 no. I'm sick of being that guy. <laughs> I think that's the only, only reason people listen is maybe. <laughs> um, all right, well, we got here on the show notes, we've got Hammer Factor approaches 1,000 subscribers. I don't really even know what to think about that. I, I look at those stats sometimes, and I'm like, really? So That seems low, we deserve more. in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. It seems low? Yeah. Wow. I mean, based on the reaction I'm getting, I'm thinking a lot more than 1,000 people are listening to it. You know, the sampling that I'm getting suggests it's, it's a lot higher. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just the that, – that, that's not the YouTube channel or whatever. That's just the audio down, audio subscribers. And then the downloads are way more than 1,000 of each episode. But these All are right. people who, when they turn on their phone on Tuesday morning, it goes, bip, bip, bip. John Wells here to talk to you. Oof. <laughs> it's like a, it's like Kara's worst nightmare. <laughs> Speaking of which, next week is the this lady show, right? Yeah, I think. I'm pretty sure we have they have a show lined up? Is it is it happening? I'm running the switchboard. It's not up to me, but it's going to be killer. All right. <laughs> I got to say, I looked at. Well, Grace has made me the one of the, I don't know, administrators or whatever of our Facebook page, and I looked at our our demographics on there, and it's like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 12 year old like we're key in the 8 to 12 year old <laughs> it's, it's, it's 90% dudes it's like yeah it's like mostly 25 to 35 and the top cities are like it's like white salmon Asheville Pittsburgh <laughs> like Morgantown all right okay it's a sausage fest is what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> it's just like unflattering and bizarre portrait of what, what water packing looks like. <laughs> I want to see where like, Trump something. voters and Hammer Factor listeners, where the Venn diagram overlap. Oh, time to zero. Oh, <laughs> we're about to jump the shark. All right, Rants and Raves, favorite part of the show, everyone. This is where your hosts go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave. Would anyone like to start us off? I'll start us off. I'm going to rave go. about my party brat. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Cause I finally, my ribs are healed up. I took it out to the green. Jesus. I had the best time ever. It's just a win-win boat. I kind of think the boat design is done now. You think this is it? I don't know. That's just me. What about you guys? Oh shit. How is this the part of the show that we do every week and you guys never have a rant or a rave? You know what? We're just nixing that. We're going to go straight into Dan Huska's viewer mail. How do you, H-R-U-S-K-A. How would you say that? Ruska? Ruska? Dan Ruska viewer mail. He wants to know from Lewis, what are some common mistakes and misconception? He has a party brat. He can't get it outfitted. What help do you have for him, Lewis? Oh uh, boy! Listen, I'm gonna sign out. Can I take a guess what Lewis is gonna say? <laughs> Lewis is gonna say you whip all the outfitting out, <laughs> vacuum bag your own foam core seat, hold it to your butt, <laughs> using your your vacuum pump that you have in your backyard, <laughs> and uh, get three sixteenths inch mini or uh, uh, insulation board and vacuum bag carbon cap on both sides of it to replace your walls and drill holes in it so your boat is fifteen pounds lighter. <laughs> is, uh, Thanks, uh, is that close to this? <laughs> Any other viewer mail? <laughs> That's like the, the, the outfitting two oh two lesson, but yeah, that would be ideal. <laughs> I don't know why I was actually thinking about that this morning. I was thinking about <laughs> <laughs> ripping the walls out of my boat and taking some uh, <laughs> some composite skin styrofoam walls but uh, <laughs> um, I can see you doodling on conference calls like you're just drawing like <laughs> faux wall designs <laughs> well 
I think we should um, end it there, fellas. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Oh no, I want to hear. Let's hear. Let's hear what Lewis has to say about outfitting his brap because because maybe he has something attainable for the human for for normal boater to to achieve here. Yeah, Dan. Did I'll, have I'll tell you what I'm done with, and I that is I've ripped all that carpeting stuff off of the seat, taken right. out everything except for the plastic seat itself. Mm-hmm. Um, glued mini cell to that uh, to the back bands. It's like to the plastic. Um, wrapped it all in duct tape so it doesn't get torn up. And then I like cam strap the back band down to the seat so that it's as low as possible on my back. And then built up foam under my legs so that I'm touching the boat along the seat for as much of the seat as, as possible. So basically trying to get that, you know, achieve that same effect that like that new dagger outfitting has where you ratchet up the front of the seat. I'm just doing that with foam. And then the hip pads, I just carved something with, you know, like using a grinder out of, you know, big blocks of mini cell, something that, you know, looks sort of similar to the hip pads that come with the boat, but longer from front to back and much more carve out. So they really wrap over the tops of your legs. And yeah, that's it. Are you um, doing anything to the bulkhead? Uh, nope. I haven't done anything to the bulkhead. Man, that sounds pretty tight. Here we go. Yeah. How do you, do you do you do you trim the seat? Do you get in the boat and move the seat forward or backward? Uh, I do. I don't think I've done anything dramatic with the party wrap. I kind of play around with the boat with the seat when I what get it. What are you looking for? Like, what are you looking for with seat placement? It's just feel. I, I think it's it's hard to tell. Like just based on trim and the water in these modern boats that have so much rocker. I think what I'm looking for is to really keep the bow popping, but to be able to get the stern out of the water when I need it to. Um, I think you want to be paddling, leaning forward all the time. So having you know the boat trimmed to the point that you can lean forward without having the bow being like bearing all the time like you don't want to have to feel like you're leaning back to keep the bow dry um and then you know for overnighters obviously not a concern with the brat but for overnighters i always move my seat forward to kind of retrim the boat and anytime you do that you know when you play with the trim on the seat you got to move the bulkhead also otherwise you're just moving the seat under your ass and not really changing where you're sitting in the boat. So you need to move the bulkhead forward or back as you move the seat forward or back. And in the past, in some boats, I've actually drilled like an intermediate hole between the holes that are on the, on the track so that I can get a kind of like a finer forward or back adjustment than what the boat comes with. There you have it. All right. And you know, like the first time you outfit a boat, you're going to go paddle it and it's going to like pitch somewhere and you're going to have to go back and grind some foam off or, you know, maybe add something later or whatever. It's not something that you're usually going to get right on the first crack. Like it takes, you know, a few, a few times paddling it and realizing your legs are going to sleep before you're going to get it exactly how you want it. Can I poo poo on your outfitting for just a second, Lewis? Please. So. <laughs> Man, my this is what I don't like we, about we should, that. Can I, can I make a suggestion? Can we change rants and race to just I poo poo that? 
Oh. <laughs> Let's do it. I'm writing it down right now. I poo poo that. All right. Because we always poo poo. So what do you <laughs> raves do? And raves are a bit tougher. So what do you do, Lewis, in winter versus summer? Like when you're wearing a dry suit and that kind of thing, and then when you're just wearing a dry top or whatever. How do you how do you deal with your outfit? And then do you just, well, you redo just had a the whole really thing? big lunch. Do you move the seat back or forward? I'm being serious. How do you squeeze I, in I there don't... when you got all your gear on? And uh, I don't yep. feel like it makes that big a difference. I guess I usually paddle in, in neoprene shorts, like under my board shorts, or I do a lot of the time. And so that kind of makes it closer from summer to winter. But, you know, I guess you could always throw, you know, an extra sheet of quarter inch foam or whatever over your hip pads in the summer if you're really that particular about it. Are you changing your outfitting from summer to winter? No, I just leave the normal outfitting in there, but I will adjust shims and whatever from summer to winter. I bet 80% of my boats I have gotten and sat in them and never made an adjustment in them ever. God, we have so three completely different styles of dealing with outfitting our boat. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, well. <laughs> like, I can't even adjust the foot pegs. Okay, <laughs> I just let that thing go. <laughs> Giddy up. <laughs> I, I envy that, but I, I can't operate on that level. I remember like showing up at the at the put in one day for the little white, and uh, Griff William Griffith shows up and he has an old broken shell that I've given him that he's excited that he's found a seat for. He's like, check it out, dude! I got a seat, and he takes the seat and crams it into the boat. No bolts, no anything. Yeah, <laughs> has, has a hole in his spray skirt like the size of like a silver dollar, and then just like hops in and runs the little white at like four four. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm like I would die, man. Like I would die. Like <laughs> I, I just cannot. I just have nowhere close to the athleticism necessary to paddle though with the seats moving and like. <laughs> well, I always say, Gelman, nothing fits you. Like we make you dry suits. <laughs> it's next to impossible making you a dry suit. You're like, you're like it fits great, except I feel like my ankle is getting brushed against the back side of the of the cuff. And so could you take off the legs and redesign it, please? <laughs> you're like it fits perfect, except that when I do when I do happy baby pose, I'm feeling some binding across. <laughs> I mean it's it's not easy. <laughs> All right, I'm going to let you guys finish this off the air. Thank you for listening to Hammer Factor. Uh, next week, we got the ladies' takeover. Big thanks to James Bird, everybody, for listening. And we're out. <laughs>